Hi, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance, sir. And yesterday, uh, Tier 4 was announced by Sausage Johnson with Ian Valance. And I'm breaking in Sunday morning, basically, to give you the big scoop. So, Tier 4 for London and a big part of the uh, east of England and the south east of England. And that means it is a stay-at-home order. Only travel if it's essential. And it comes in, well, it's in now. So this is Sunday morning I'm talking to you. And it came in at midnight, Saturday night. Now, Saturday night, inevitably, uh, anybody that wanted to get out of London just put their plans, if they could afford to, put their plans a couple of hours uh, ahead. And they all left London. Like Not everyone, but many people left London late last night. The trains in St Pancras were jam-packed of people which may well have COVID bringing it up country. That's fucking nice of them, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I mean, in a way, that's, you know, you can think that, well, that was going to happen. In fact, Laura Kunzberg at the BBC asked uh, Whitty that in the press conference yesterday. said, if you're back in a bag, um, like to leave London tonight, what would your advice be? And he said, well, unpack the bag. Well, many people didn't unpack the bag, but of course... It does give the signal to many, many, many people. Well, it is now, you know, we are being told to do this. So we are going to do this. So, of course, it is a good thing. But all of this is to do with, uh, you know, a relaxation at Christmas, which really is not unnecessary. Like, it doesn't need to happen. I do talk in this episode about the kind of, you know, why I think if you think things through, and we do go down the... 10 principles of thinking things through and if you do think things through and you think that there's a real compelling need to see people then you can do that perfectly safely like of course we can do that perfectly safely and we know what to do to do that yeah but there's plenty of people that aren't acting responsibly and new variant is a part of it of course but social distancing basically doesn't exist we know this Uh, You know, we see it every single day in our lives. Where I live in Devon and other parts of Devon, cases have doubled in the last seven days. Tier two is not enough. Inevitably, that leads to tier three. And only in parts of tier three is it enough. Yep. So Christmas and the, the, uh, uh, the constricting of the easing, if you like, of, of conditions for Christmas only adds the to the hassle that's there anyway because the tiers don't work tier three isn't effective as it should be and tier two is basically a waste of time yep it's going to go up in tier two and it is going up in tier two and most of tier three is going up as well let's see hopefully tier four will make a difference with christmas it is good that they've said you can only get together with more than one household on one day which is really good on christmas day that is really good uh, and of course, you know, it, uh, there's probably going to be literally millions of people that break that, that think, oh, fuck it, like, you know, Boris Johnson has messed up again, he's done a U-turn, and it's not my fault, I've booked my tickets, and it, everything's arranged, no, yeah, we'll be careful, we'll be, we'll be careful, we'll be careful, so of course it's going to go up at Christmas, and it is very scary, but, you know, the bottom line is that he had to do a U-turn, he you know made ridiculous comments uh attacking starmer on wednesday who was talking about this stuff and he said to cancel christmas would be inhumane well okay fine if you're gonna use the big guns with your little language then 
don't come a couple of days later blaming the new variant for essentially cancelling Christmas for loads and loads of like millions and millions of people. Millions of people in the southeast and London, they can't see anyone on Christmas Day. Yeah. And part of the frustration of, that people are going to have is because a couple of days ago, he was saying to cancel Christmas is inhumane. I mean, what the hell? Unbelievable. And they knew about this strain, like they've known about it since September. In September, it was 5% of cases in London and the Southeast. In November, it was 25, the middle of November, a month ago, 25% of cases. And now all of a sudden, oh no, the guys at Portland Down have looked at it and it's always looking vicious. Well, hold on a minute. You could have given us a bit of a warning, you know, that this thing was coming up. Do you know what I mean? Incredible. On Wednesday, the sausage made a funny little joke, hilarious joke. Have yourselves a merry little Christmas, and this year it will be little. <laughs> because you're not allowed to see people. Yeah, because they might die. That's fucking funny, isn't it? But Witty was there, thank God, with a very succinct and punchy um, message for us all, which can be summed up by the wit himself uh, in 10 seconds. Here it is. Keep it small, keep it short, keep it local, and think of the most vulnerable people. There we go, beautiful there. Short, small, local, and vulnerable. And, uh, you know, old, um, that fucking sausage didn't do a very good job, but at least we had that from the uh, from Witty. And it follows up on advice that has been out there for some time, actually. And it's amazing that it's not everywhere. This is uh, one of the uh, kind of subgroups of SAGE published this ages ago. Uh, 10 principles for reducing household transmission during social interactions. So I understand that a lot of you guys are going to be seeing people at Christmas. And I'll go on to talk about why I think that if you you know think it through and i bet every single one of the listeners wherever you are in the country or in the world are going to think it through um you know so there's no problem with that and i'll go on to explain why i think it's actually a very good idea um so in in a second but if you are going to do that obviously thinking it through involves probably all of this so the 10 principles Number one, consider whether in-person interactions are essential and cannot be postponed or replaced by safer forms of interaction. So obviously we have Zoom. Obviously, you know, the vaccine is a couple of months away in the UK, at least, for the very vulnerable people, the people that are most prone to dying of this. Yeah. So although it's difficult, if you can try to think, well, actually, I'm not going to see my mum and dad who are in there whatever, like, you know, above 70. Um, And I can see them in Easter, like in a couple of months. I mean, you know, I can see them at the fucking weekend in a couple of months' time when they're vaccinated. Number two, consider replacing indoor events with outdoor activities or using community spaces to host events. So this outdoor thing is it makes a huge difference. Obviously, you know, what you don't want to be doing is having Christmas uh, turkey, and then the fucking Christmas cake, and then the board games. 
in a, a house where the windows are closed because it's, you know, the end of December, you know, and everyone's breathing all over each other. So if you can t- get outside as much as possible, uh, just do it outside, basically. That's the that's the key thing there for number two. Number three, recognize that most transmission occurs due to prolonged close interaction with familiar people in a home environment. That's exactly what I was just saying. Yeah. Number four, take special care to protect people who are particularly vulnerable to serious consequences from infection. And we need to remember as well that obviously in Britain, we're in a very lucky position kind of internationally. I mean, even compared to, you know, Germany, for instance, are still waiting for the EU to give the go ahead for the um, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. A lot of people in Germany are like thinking, well, we built it here, motherfuckers. Like, where is it? Fucking UK. Fuck the fucking UK. They're fucking fucking off. And we have to wait for the vaccine. But anyway, there's lots of places in the world waiting for the vaccine. And it's still only like 180,000 people or whatever have got it in the UK now. You know what I mean? It's not like as if we've all been vaccinated. But the vaccine is coming. So it's worth bearing that in mind in a big way. Like, you know, fucking think, do I really need to see this vulnerable person? You know, Uh, five, ensure people who are emotionally vulnerable have social support. And I'll come and talk about that in a moment. Six, people who have to self-isolate or quarantine should not have any in-person social interactions. So that's an exa- example of, you know, if you think you have it and you have to self-isolate, then obviously it's probably not a good idea to invite everyone around to, you know, pull the cracker. Seven, limit interactions to the same small group of people as far as possible. Yeah, that's makes sense. Uh, eight, limit the duration of time spent together, especially if meeting indoors. And this is absolutely key here. So... The um, Scottish government are saying, well, all of them to a kind of certain, you know, greater or lesser extent, obviously that fucking sausage just making jokes about it, you know, but um, Nicola Sturgeon and Mark Drayford, who looks like an extra out of a fucking Mike Lee film, they're saying, yeah, don't stay overnight. Like, really, unless you absolutely have to, don't stay overnight. So the whole idea of you know, the traditional kind of get together where, you know, people kind of choose the house to go around and maybe it's like a tradition that everyone goes around Jimmy's house or whatever. You know, that's out the window this year and it has to be out the window this year because, I mean, it's inevitable, obviously. It's fucking Christmas time. People are going to be pissed by 5 p.m. And then you're like, you know, ah, fuck it. Like you're doing the conga around the, you know, house, uh, and by 11 p.m., it's like, right, let's watch The Godfather. And, uh, you know, you're in bed by one, and it's like, oh, great, everyone's got COVID-19. <laughs> Nine, manage the home environment and how people interact together. So even if you are meeting indoors, you really need to think, like, you know, am I going to get within two meters of this person? Are the windows open? Um, you know, You've got to really think through. It's not just a question of, you know, we're going to go around there for lunch and then fuck off. You've still got to think about the, you know, implications of being very close to people. Ten, negotiate and communicate with family, friends and other visitors to create a safe meeting plan where responsibilities are appropriately shared. And this is very difficult. I mean, that is the that's kind of like the summary of the whole thing, really. You know, how do you negotiate 
um, when there's a kind of plethora of different opinions, unfortunately, out there, and not everyone is as kind of clear-cut as me and Tom Cruise about this. Um, and also, you know, it is genuinely a, a thing where, you know, people do have to make very difficult decisions. So there was a radio uh, show I was listening to a while ago now, about a week ago. I can't remember exactly when. But there was this uh, lady who phoned up who was an elderly lady who has been self-isolating um, since March, right? Since the beginning of all of this. She's been self-isolating all that time. Her sister lives not too far away, but she's, they're not next-door neighbours or anything. It's like a bit of a journey away, but not like a massive journey, like in the next county over or whatever. I don't know exactly how far, but, you know, but say like a you know a bit of a journey away, two-hour journey. I'm making that up. But the sister lives fucking somewhere. <laughs> and And the sister is obviously an old lady as well, yeah? Now, this lady who phoned up the radio show, she said that she's only seen her sister twice since uh, March. She saw, oh, sorry, she, she saw her sister uh, twice this year. First time she saw her sister was in January because her, um, her husband died and she saw her sister in, at the funeral for her husband. And it was a normal funeral, you know, because it was before COVID-19 restrictions came in. And she obviously, con you know, was like consoled by her sister and they hugged, you know, all the rest of it. And then in September this year, her son died. Unbelievably, her son died. And so for the second time, she saw her sister. But this funeral was very different in September. They didn't hug, and it was obviously a much smaller funeral than normal funerals. And so, you know, they are planning to get together. Just those two people are planning to get together at Christmas. And the lady was saying, I feel really guilty because I'm breaking my self-isolation. But I really feel like I need to see my sister. And you think, well, obviously you have to see your sister. Do you know what I mean? And she is like, it's a weird situation whereby somebody who is at no risk of getting COVID-19 because she is taking care of herself, because she is, you know, vulnerable to serious medical implications if she gets the fucking thing, yeah? So she's not going to, she doesn't have COVID-19, but it's a weird thing whereby, you know, this this crisis over what to do at Christmas has even got people like that really worrying about what am I going to do at Christmas, you know? Whereas it's really an open and shut case. You see your sister, of course, you know, pay attention to how you're going to travel up to your sisters and, you know, take care. And But you are an old lady and there probably is a very, very, very small risk that anyone is going to be so fucking stupid as to put you in harm in terms of coming up to you or whatever, you know? Um, so there is a bit of a risk in terms of her travelling to her sisters, yeah? But at the same time, really, when you kind of think about it, the greater good for her and for her sister, but especially for her, is for her to go and see her sister, yeah? Now, that is an extreme example of the kind of decisions that are being made and the kind of, like, torment as well that is kind of, like, undergoing 
in people's heads, undergoing in people's heads, uh, like all the time, you know? Do I see my dad who I haven't seen for fucking ages? Um, not my dad, because my dad's dead and I don't have a fucking good Ouija board. I do, but it's not with a hologram Ouija board. <laughs> the Ouija board's fucking rubbish. It's just like it moves a, moves a glass around. <laughs> when, it, when you were alive, you could speak. We did very little communication through moving a glass around when you were alive. Like, I really need to get one of those hologram Ouija boards. Anyway, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be like something like Star Wars. Um, anyway, uh, the, the, you know, I, I haven't seen my dad and uh, love to see my... You get the fucking gist. So, but th- when you do see your family, if you do see your family, think through those things. Whitty sums it up with safe, small, local and vulnerable. But also think of those 10 things. And hopefully we won't do in America where they, I I know that there's loads of people that listen in America, and I'm sure you probably did, if you listen to this, you fucking definitely did think through, and hopefully you're not kind of living the consequences of all your fucking neighbours in your community not thinking it through, because at, uh, you know, um, uh, what's it called? Treadmilling? The thing with the chicken. Uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. It's not a chicken, is it? No, it's a turkey. With, with Thanksgiving, they see, they're seeing like a big spike uh, after Thanksgiving. So, you know, hopefully people are really going to think this through. So, Timothy Cruz has been ranting again. Ranting again! And he was recorded... I wonder whether he did the recording himself, because he comes across as the um, the kind of backstop, if you like, of the entertainment industry, especially in Hollywood, and the uh, saviour, if you like. And I think he would be, uh, you know, quite happy with that description and that depiction of him being the saviour of Hollywood. So what happened is that he's filming... Um, Mission Impossible 7 in England at the moment and you know like many other places we're fucking rife with Covid in England and um, this is a so Mission Impossible 7 and 8 they're filming both films back to back so it's a massive production and it's like all around the world and it's been beset by problems okay so in October they had to shut down production for a week in Italy because they had 12 people testing positive on set. 12 people, I mean, that's a lot, you know? It's amazing that they only shut it down for for a week, if you think about it. And then also this big fucking stunt setup that they, um, that they had going on, which apparently took six weeks to set up. Um, the, the, a fire happened. And that was ruined. And obviously, you know, that's pretty expensive. And there's an ongoing, um, quite dull, if you're into your Polish bridges, then it's not dull, but an ongoing dispute and essentially a kind of tussle about um, them wanting to blow up a Polish bridge. <laughs> that the Polish, the Polish government said, oh yeah, that's fine, you know, 
blow up the Polish bridge. Great. Here's, here's the bridge to blow up. And then the local people and also other kind of, you know, people that are into bridges in Poland said, no, no, you can't blow up this fucking bridge. This is one of our best bridges, you know. Don't blow up this one. So anyway, there's a whole shebang of problems going on with um, the production. And Cruz saw two people uh, looking at footage by a, a monitor, but not socially distancing. And so he was speaking on, you know, with his kind of producer hat on because he produces these movies. Um, he said this. We are the gold standard. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. So Tom Cruise, he's obviously feeling the heat because, you know, like he was saying, Hollywood at the moment is uh, at a standstill and there's been a couple of attempts to try to get things going. The biggest attempt was the cinema release of Tenet and it actually did pretty well internationally, but um, domestically in the United States, the cinema uh, box office for Tenet wasn't great it wasn't what was expected and it was seen as a failure now if you look at the in the context of covid19 uh internationally it's actually made something like 350 million dollars uh, which is pretty good you know pretty good considering no one's going to the cinema but warner brothers who released tenet and has released all of um christopher Nolan's films like for years and years and supported him 
through, you know, interstellar and, you know, I mean, Inception probably wasn't that much of a risk compared to interstellar. But, the, you know, these these films that are uh, kind of difficult blockbusters, if you like, not difficult, but fucking, you know, you need to think about them. I mean, Interstellar is not a very good film, but Inception is brilliant and Tenet is brilliant. And, you know, Dunkirk is a good example of, you know, a proper, you know, serious, grown-up, complex movie which costs millions and millions of dollars. It's pushing us to the boundaries in terms of, you know, using the fucking IMAX and all the rest of it, you know. So he's right on the kind of cutting edge of filmmaking, Nolan, and he needs the millions of a big-budget studio behind him, big-budget studio, and obviously he made The Dark Knight and everyone, you know, fucking Heath Ledger died and still won an Oscar, you know? And so after making The Dark Knight, he can kind of do anything. So he's got a lot of power, Nolan. And he said to um, Warner Brothers, uh, I understand, you know, I know about COVID-19, but I also think it's time to like, you know, kind of put a little flag in people's heads <laughs> as a quote and and say you know we are going to go ahead with this opening of Tenet at the um you know at the cinemas okay the summer uh, blockbuster season isn't totally dead well okay they did that they released it in August and you know it didn't go so well basically that's the kind of um, industry uh, idea of how Tenet performed. So, and of course, the massive reason is that nobody's going there because of fucking COVID-19, yeah? So, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Warner Brothers did this incredible thing that really pissed off Nolan and a lot of other filmmakers, apparently, whereby they said, um, I'll slate for 2021 is all going to be going to HBO Max, which is this obscure streaming service in the United States. Like HBO, you know HBO, The Wire and uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. Well, it's their streaming service, yeah? I mean, the people in the States probably know this. I'm talking to the non-States audience here. Um, So, but nobody, like it's not Netflix for fuck's sake. It's not, you know, Disney Plus. It's not kind of everyone... Everyone doesn't have HBO Max, yeah? But nevertheless, you know, Wonder Woman and uh, all the other big ones, all the big ones <laughs> are going are going to, um, to HBO Max. So they're not... So some of them, I think, will be getting a very, very limited cinema release. Um, but basically, the vast majority of their content uh, in terms of the, you know, like when people can see it and how people can see it, it's all going over to HBO Max, like, immediately. Like, it's not like, you know, they're in the cinemas for three months, even. It's just immediate. That's it. You've got your fucking... Maybe a couple of days in the cinema, but at the same time, you're being uh, streamed on HBO Max anyway, and then you're only in the cinema for a couple of days, you know? And your life, basically, is on HBO Max. And Nolan came out and said, you know... Uh, Thousands of artists, thousands of filmmakers thought that they were working for the best uh, studio in the world. And then they, you know, went to bed thinking that. And then they woke up in the morning, 
realizing that they were working for the worst streaming service in the world. So he's really fucking, you know, pissed off, as you can see. Yeah. So what's that got to do with Cruz? Well, Cruz is saying, despite our problems, despite we've had the fucking, you know, motorbike stunt go up in flames and despite the uh, tussle with the bridge in Poland and despite having to close down for fucking a week because 12 people got COVID-19, we're still filming. Like, we have to continue this because we need to say that, you know, you can do this. It's incredibly difficult, but you can do this. And thousands of people's lives are on, you know, kind of their livelihoods, not their lives, but their livelihoods are, you know, on the line here. Because, of course, if Hollywood gets the idea that it can be done in a COVID-secure way, that you can make a massive, like a huge, complex, uh, you know, machine of a film like Mission Impossible 7, if you can do that safely, then you can certainly make you know, kind of studio-based television dramas and all the rest of it much more safely as well. Like, And you can just basically kind of get the uh, industry going again in a much bigger way than it's going at the moment, yeah? So that's where Cruz is coming from. And that's what he's talking about when he's saying, you know, think about the dinner tables of the people whose food you're taking out of their mouths or whatever. So, um, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and by the way... Um, I really am looking forward to Mission Impossible 7. Fallout was fucking brilliant. I absolutely love Fallout. And also, the other thing as well is Tenet is so good. Like, it is really seriously good. I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, but it is probably his best film. I'm a massive fan of Inception, but Inception does have that problem with, you know, the um, uh, the person who's in Juno, uh, Elliot... Oh, man, what's his name? His surname? I've forgotten his surname. He's uh, transgendered into Elliot, hasn't he? Just the last couple of days. But he was, um, like, he was the one, you know, where just turns up and goes, oh, what's that? What's going on here? And every other fucking character says, oh, well, this is it. This is this, is this, this is that. You know, all the time. It's a bit too much of that in... Inception, but still very, very good film. But Tenet doesn't have any of that. I mean, it's really good that Nolan has learned his lesson. You just plunge them in, you know, do the the old thing of the guy, what was his name, David Simon, the wire writer, yeah? Just fuck the audience, like the stupid audience, fuck them, just plunge them in, they'll get used to it or they'll just turn it off. But we're there for the people that actually want to get used to it, you know? So you're plunged into this world and it's really good. Everyone's saying, oh, God, it's so complicated. I don't understand what's going on. Well, I mean, it's not that fucking complicated. Like, it's, they, they do tell you, you know, but you do need to be paying attention. You know, you can't be, you know, on your phone or whatever at the same time. It's very much inspired by the work of Borges. And, um, you know, Nolan talks about this, about how he loves Borges. And it really is like one of... Borges' stories, yeah, those beautiful short stories with these incredible um, hooks, if you like, or kind of concepts behind them, like, you know, what would it be like if you had the perfect memory, or that kind of thing, so, yeah, it's fucking great, I love it, and uh, go see that, and also go see Bo, 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 Biggins, what's his name? Tom Cruise, yeah, in Mission Impossible 7, if he ever makes it, if they ever finish it, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Thank you.
Perhaps you may never have noticed how strange it is. For perfect things in poetry do not seem strange. They seem inevitable. So for the first time in its history, UNICEF are supporting an uh, um, initiative in Britain. UNICEF was uh, set up 70 years ago, probably um, around the same time as the UN was set up. That's uh, about 70 years old, isn't it? Yeah. And um, it's, you know, obviously promotes, uh, you know, what UNICEF is. You don't need to tell me what UNICEF is. No, because I know what UNICEF is, but you know what UNICEF is. <laughs> um, yeah, but I definitely know what UNICEF is. Anyway, first time, and it's um, uh, supporting an initiative that feeds children um, food over Christmas, this Christmas in Suffolk, in uh, South London. And that fucking unbelievable, you know, multi-millionaire arsehole Jacob Rees-Mogg calls it a political stunt and of course UNICEF have answered back saying well we're not political at all we go where there is need and as well as you know attending war zones and areas of deep crisis uh, Britain is a place where children are going hungry and you know we need to step in because the government are not stepping in uh, I slightly kind of, um, you know, overplayed their, what they actually said. <laughs> I don't think they were that critical of the government. But it says something, doesn't it? It's an absolute fucking joke. Now, there's a big problem happening um, in terms of the vaccine and trust in the vaccine in black and minority ethnic communities. And there's a big call for... Uh, people in black and minority ethnic communities to, you know, kind of have their questions answered by people that they trust. And so The Voice newspaper, which is a black newspaper for, you know, the main readership is Black Britons, been going for years and years and years. They have done an interview with somebody on Independent Sage and she addresses uh, some of the concerns. So she's basically answering questions, you know, from the newspaper's readers. And uh, so her name is Tulula Oni, and here she is. It's a difficult toss-up because, you know, on one hand, you want to, you, you know, people concerned about safety for the reasons we talked about earlier. On the other hand, um, we don't have the benefit of the time. Um, that, has, that would have passed to, to observe. And with anything around safety, you know, nothing is 100% safe. Our lives, you know, we don't go to the shops 100% safely, you know, and I mean that pre-COVID. So it's important that we're thinking about this in terms of risks and relative risks, right? So in the context of a, a global pandemic where that is really, you know, especially where we are now with community transmission, the risk you have to consider the risk of having the disease still in transmission in the community versus the risk of taking a vaccine. So whilst whilst there isn't there are no certainties about well, what happens three years after the vaccine because it's not been around for three years, we know that what's happening now is that we've if if um, 
a good percentage of the population doesn't get immune, we will continue with these cycles of um, lockdown and 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 death and um, disproportional widening of health inequalities um, and also socioeconomic inequalities. So because we we see that COVID is not affecting um, people equally. So so that is the toss up and and, and my concern. Um, with the vaccine is that the very people who have a right to be concerned <laughs> about safety for historical and to be honest contemporary um, systemic discriminatory reasons are the same groups of people who are at greater risk um, of exposure and death from a disease so so it really is is you know it's it's really it's really worrying so it's it highlights the importance of having these conversations of going beyond just oh trust us it's safe to to really engaging and listening to people and understanding well not just dismissing your questions as, oh you know just just trust us but understanding where people come from um understanding why they're asking um uh, and, and, and and taking the time to address those concerns because otherwise you get the sense you, you get an even further widening um, of, of, of this inequalities which you want to avoid where the vaccine coverage is also ends up being unequal with lower coverage in in, in, in um, black and minority ethnic groups which we would which would be would be such a tragedy. When I lived in knees, then I felt a little sick. I went down to the doctor, and she said, listen quick. A crisis is coming that will be so absurd. It will popularize a number of currently obscure words like lockdown and furlough and our value and you young man have got a job to do create a podcast and do it every day and then when the summer comes along do it four times a week and then when christmas comes along say oh fuck it let's just do it once a week and call it social distance COVID Roundup, COVID Roundup, because it's impossible to talk about everything that's happening if you're doing a once-a-week show. Yeah. Now, number one, old Macron has got the bloody COVID, but he's self-isolating and he's a young guy and I'm sure he'll be fine. But that's good, isn't it? No, it's not good. Sorry, that's news, isn't it? Um, number two, Germany is in bad straits, dire straits, um, after getting through um, phase one Marvel's phase one quite successfully things are looking pretty dicey in Germany at the moment and so they're on lockdown over Christmas and Christmas is a massive thing in Germany um, looks like even though Merkel's been right on it from the beginning there's been differences regionally in terms of them not following what she's been saying basically but things have got very bad there. Um, October the 29th, there were under 500,000 cases. And for December the 16th, which was um, a Wednesday, uh, it's up to 1,000, uh, sorry, 1,407,000 cases. So they've basically added just under a million cases 
in well what's that fucking six weeks so that is well obviously incredibly worrying incredibly worrying and there's massive pressure obviously on uh, the hospitals as well and more people are dying uh, many many more people are dying now than at any other point uh, over 800 the other day in one day so um yeah very worrying um, Wales as well is in um, dire straits and they're going into a lockdown on Christmas uh, Eve and we don't know exactly when they're going to come out of it but things need to drastically change there's parts of Wales like the north of Wales where it's very rural and I've got a very close friend very good friend one of my best friends here, who lives in the north of Wales and it's very quiet where he is but he lives in the mountains like nowhere near anyone um, so there are obviously pockets, you know, in all of these places where rural places where it is much quieter, but um, Wales is in dire straits as well. Now, the New York Times has uh, published an excellent piece. This is the this is the brilliant thing about living under a Tory government, where the sausage is in charge. Um, we need to go to the New York Times to get the big stories in terms of the cronyism. Here we go. Waste, negligence and cronyism inside Britain's pandemic spending. Uh, about half of the UK government's pandemic spending went to companies with political connections, no prior experience or histories of controversy. And hats off to, um, what's the name? Is it Sophie? I, forget, I always forget her name. Whatever her name is, um, who did <laughs> My Little Crony. Uh, Christ, I can't believe I've forgotten the name again. But anyway, that My Little Crony project, you know, it is um, paying dividends because, of course, now we've got the uh, big boys, the New York Times even, paying attention to this massive story. Sophie Hill, that's it. Sophie Hill is her name. So congratulations, Sophie, for being, you know, the first person really to start to kind of draw all of these together in an accessible way. And the New York Times is running with it. Um, so as an example, uh, this one guy, the fucking uh, like ridiculous czar, the PPE czar, whose name is Lord Dayton. And Dayton, um, he's, he used to be at Goldman Sachs as an executive, of course. And um, he remains involved in business, has financial or personal connections to at least seven companies that were awarded lucrative government contracts totaling nearly $300 million. So there's the big scoop from the New York Times, and it continues. We analysed a large segment of the spending spree, roughly 1,200 contracts, worth nearly $22 billion. About $11 billion went to firms either run by friends and associates of Conservative Party politicians, or with no experience, or a history of... Uh, controversy. The suppliers we spoke to denied wrongdoing. There's no evidence of government officials engaging in illegal conduct, but there's ample evidence of cronyism, waste, and poor due diligence. About $5 billion went to politically connected companies, including hundreds of millions of pounds, to several where the CC, the PC, the PPC czar, PPC, PBE czar, had financial interests. A secretive VIP lane gave priority to firms with political ties. So this VIP lane, you know, the thing of 
if you've got a mate in the cabinet or in the government, then that's great. One in 10 of those uh, propositions got through and got the contract. The normal way, because they did a call out, like if you can help us with PPE, then get in contact. And lots of companies said, well, yeah, we make masks, actually. We're exactly the kind of people that you're after because, you know, the masks, you know, that help save the lives. Well, we make them. Oh, great. We'll go on the fucking website and, you know, do the website. And they did that. So if you don't have any contacts with government, you've got a one in a hundred chance of getting the fucking contract. Yeah. If the, if you don't know. Oh, you, oh, thanks. Oh, Jimmy. My mate, Jimmy. Do you want a bit of this action? We're giving away fucking billions here. Do you want a bit? Well, I don't make masks. I know, but you're my mate. Jimmy! <laughs> so uh, one in ten of those fucking fraudsters got a contract. That's good, isn't it? So well done, New York Times. Well done, Sophie Hill, for kicking this ball off with my little crony. And in that, and like at the top of that fucking tree is Dominic Cummings. And it emerged this week that Cummings was given a pay rise. Unbelievably. 40 grand pay rise. Thank you very much. Run to Barnard Castle. Bump into everyone. 40 grand pay rise. It's unbelievable. I mean, just fucking stinks to die, Evan. Now, um, uh, what's it called? What's his name? Old um, Starmer was quite good at PMQs. He came up with a good one. Here it is. Mr Speaker, this isn't bad luck. It's not inevitable. It's a result of the Prime Minister's choices. But if the Prime Minister disagrees with me, perhaps he can tell us why does he think that Britain, the sixth richest country in the world, with all our brilliant scientists and amazing NHS, ends the year with one of the highest numbers of COVID deaths in Europe, over 64,000, each one leaving a grieving family, and the deepest recession of any major economy. Does the Prime Minister now accept that his slowness to respond led to more deaths, a longer lockdown, and a deeper economic damage. And that's very good. But of course, Starmer should be using the actual number of people that have died with um, COVID-19 on their death certificates. This 64,000, we used to do this like every other fucking day back in May and June. And if you're a loyal listener, you know this back to front, you know, inside and out. You know it like the back of your hair, your fucking hand. But the 64,000 figure is for um, people that have been tested with COVID-19 and then died within 28 days of that positive get test, yeah? 81,000 people, over 81,000 people have died in the UK of COVID-19. And that includes that 64,000, but it also includes well, tens of thousands of others who have died, who die after 28 days of getting the test, okay? So there's no mystery around this. We all know the figures. The ONS publish it. And then what happens is the Guardian, on a weekly basis, adds the number of 28-day uh, deaths on top of the uh, ONS figures, because there's something like a 10, 11-day lag, uh, to get to the new figure. Okay, so at, at least 81,000 at the moment. I, don't, I have no idea why I fucking... I guess that Starmer's just doing that because... He doesn't want that sausage to jump up and say, no, 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 no. But I wouldn't mind actually a fight on the figures, yeah? Because this 81,000 is it's amazing that everybody isn't talking about it, you know? 
So Hattie Mancock has moved the tears around a little bit. There's um, some movement here. Uh, quite a lot of places in South East uh, England are going into Tier 3. Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire, Berkshire, Peterborough, Hertfordshire, Surrey, except Waverley, and interestingly enough, Jeremy Hunt's um, uh, constituency is Waverley, so that's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Yeah. Hastings and Rother, Portsmouth, Gosport and Haven't. Moving down from Tier 3 to Tier 2 is Bristol and North Somerset, and old Jacob Rees-Mogg is in North Somerset, so that's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Yeah. Moving down from Tier uh, 2 to Tier 1 is Huff, uh, Herefordshire, so that's good. Um, and also, uh, that's it, I think, yeah. That's it. So none of the northern seats like Manchester wanted to be moved down. Some parts of Manchester, but um, well, that didn't happen, did it? No, it did not happen. But you know what that reminds me of? So anyway, the, the thing is that, you know, it's only going in one direction at the moment and Christmas is going to make it worse. So it's no surprise that they're tightening things up. Of course, the fucking Tories are complaining. But you know what the thing is, though? As Tom Cruise would say, it's not going to put food on their table. <laughs> I give them the college education. It's lovely Irish. Do you ever see that film where he's the Irish man? No? Far and away, yeah? Rubbish. Right, so uh, Gavin Williamson, up to his old tricks again. One minute he's saying uh, to councils, don't close schools before the Christmas holidays, and if you do, we'll take you to court. Next minute, the day before schools break up, he says, well, we're going to have a second return. So if you're working in the secondary school, you've got to work through Christmas to work out how the vast majority of your students in secondary schools are going to be working from home until the 11th of January. So that's nice. Nice Christmas present from the devil. Thanks a lot, devil. Also, long COVID uh, interview on the radio uh, this morning, whereby a person who has long COVID was saying, that we do not have the tests. The tests do not exist to um, like inspect and work out the damage that is happening to the organs because of COVID-19. And there's a problem with the name. The NHS has given long COVID this name, post-COVID syndrome. And there's a fear that that name is downplaying the seriousness, seriousnessness of uh, of long COVID and the effects of long COVID. And from a kind of medical point of view, you know, people that they're describing as mild sufferers of COVID have like life-changing uh, illnesses, absolutely life-changing illnesses, you know, the illest that they've ever been, you know. From a COVID point of view, it might be mild because they're not on a ventilator. Do you know what I mean? They're not dead. But from a personal point of view, it is life-changing and you know, so there's lots of work there to be done in terms of, um, well, what is it? You know, how the hell are we going to work out what COVID is and the destruction that it does on the human body? Now, vitamin D is something I've spoken about for quite a long time, and I'm taking 50 uh, micrograms a day, every single day. A uh, news story came out a couple of days ago saying that um, the excellent clinical health dudes, whatever it's called, have said that studies are uh, uh, not shown whether vitamin D is effective. Well, they are in a, uh, they, they could actually say, let's do the studies, but they're not saying let's do the studies. It's very weird. Dr. John Campbell is very good at this, and he made a video a couple of days ago looking at vitamin D, and he's taking 50 milligram, uh, micrograms 
the day. And, uh, you know, we know that there is a vitamin D deficiency in, you know, vast swathes of the world, including the UK. And the government's advice is to take 10 micrograms. Dr. John Campbell says that that's far too little, you know, because we're not getting vitamin D from the sun, obviously, because, you know, there is no sun in the UK during during the winter or during the springtime. So we need to really start thinking about taking um, supplements, vitamin D, and it looks like the evidence is there that it, um, you know, certainly guards against COVID-19 to a certain extent. But John Campbell's the guy for that. So go to his YouTube video and, uh, you know, video and uh, look up uh, vitamin D. He's very good on that. Right, now that is the end of... Uh, is the end of... Uh, COVID-19 found out. Is that the same tune as the beginning? No. Okay, so there's episode 202. Now, next week is the Christmas episode, uh, Christmas special. Going to release it on the Wednesday, the 23rd, probably, to give you a couple of days to listen to it before the big day. And have a very happy and safe Christmas, obviously. And um, week after that is going to be the New Year Roundup. So big episode there, looking at an uh, extraordinary year. Also on iHeart, so listen to Social Distancer through iHeart if you want to do that. And uh, also right now, ready? Let's get our shit together. One. Oh, what are we going to think about? Uh, Stingray. Let's think about a Stingray. Killed Steve Irwin. Oh, yeah. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Take care. Have a lovely week. We're working on a better song, by the way. So this is the Neeson episode, right? This is the first and last time you're going to hear that, unless you do back, back, back and back and back. Anyway, take care of yourselves. Have a lovely week. Take care.